you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for Person of Interest featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, what's your favorite heist movie? Ooh. Ooh. Fuck. There's a question. We're dealing with a bank robbery today, so. Mm-hmm. Um. I really enjoyed Ocean's 8. Okay. Okay. Woof. There are so many good heist movies. Yeah. It's, it, is, it is possibly the greatest genre of film that we have. Really? Yeah. Okay. My favorite heist movie is the entirety of Leverage. That, that's fair. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will submit my, my sneaky pick for this one, which is Logan Lucky. Interesting. Have you watched the Logan Lucky? No. I have not seen this. Okay. Are you so going to yell at me like Jude did? No, 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 no. no. Time? I'm going to pitch you on this, and I'm going to make you, and I'm going to suggest that you watch it this weekend. Um, so Logan Lucky is from Steven Soderbergh, which, which is the guy who did Ocean's Eleven, like all the Ocean's movies. It's set in West Virginia, and it's a heist movie. It's basically like imagine Ocean's Eleven, but instead of a bunch of slick criminals it's two west virginian boys who are going to rob a nascar track <laughs> okay and th- and the 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 other i'm on board <laughs> and the other main player in the scheme is daniel craig doing the most colonel sanders ass accent like <laughs> wait, this wait. is warm up for dives out <laughs> oh wow uh, i really you sold me with that alone it's it's honestly it's Ocean's Eleven with a heart. Interesting. It's got a very nice emotional core. It's the thing. It's it's by far the thing that I consider Adam Driver's best work. Like because the the two the two main characters are Channing Tatum and Adam Driver playing brothers. Shut and, up. I'm sorry. Why why was that not what you led with? Because Daniel Craig doing a started a southern accent and playing a character named Joe Bang is I think the thing I have, <laughs> have to leave really honestly okay. it is Well, yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah, same. It's it's truly like I could list like 10 facts about this movie and each one of them would be shut the fuck up. Why did you lead with that? I don't know if I have a specific movie that I think is my favorite heist movie. I'm trying to think. I do love Ocean's Eleven. Like, I have a lot of fondness for that movie. Speaking of Ocean's Eight, I heard a great story about Ocean's Eight. Um, Anne Hathaway was giving an interview about that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she apparently had just had a kid when she went to film it. And she was feeling very self-conscious that she had not lost any of the baby weight when she showed up for it. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that happened when she walked on set is Sandra Bullock took one look at her and went, damn, mama, look at that ass. And was like <laughs> catcalling her. Aww. And like all of the women on set were like 
basically like being hella complimentary and like Rihanna was like, you got an ass, you got, you got a Rihanna ass. And like, like everybody was like being super like flattering and like making her feel good about the fact that like she rolled in, not in like Hollywood figure shape, like in, I just had a kid shape. Yeah. And uh, she said it was like the most welcoming set she'd ever been on. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed about it, essentially, which is the I tend to like media where it comes across that the people making it are having a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Like, regardless of the actual quality, like, I think Ocean's 8 is a good movie, but everybody just seems to be having a ball with it. There's great chemistry between everybody. The dialogue is fantastic. And, like, it's just a really fun movie to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe it or not, this is not a movie, or this is not a podcast about heist movies. Uh, this is a be. podcast. <laughs> okay, we have lots of other podcasts lined yeah. up to do. Let's put that in. Yeah, put that I in mean, the barrel behind our X Men podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm our, presently planning a show without either of you. <laughs> what's this? I'm gonna be cheating on you with Aaron. Uh, oh, <laughs> I mean, actually, I'm not even I'm not even cheating with Aaron. It's just I'm going to be I'm going to be doing something and handing it off to Aaron. We'll see, though. Uh, but tonight we are covering episodes 10 and 11 of season two, Shadowbox and 2 Pi R. As it turns out that I um, am doing Shadowbox. So we're going to take it over to me, who is standing over in the uh, crumbling ruins of a bank vault. <laughs> This is episode 10 of season two, Shadowbox, written by Patrick Harbinson and directed by Stephen Sergic. Our number this week is Abby Monroe, who mysteriously quit her job at a charity and dropped off the grid a few days ago. As it turns out, Abby is caught up with Shane Coleman, a veteran who is defrauded by Abby's former employer, a charity that offered secretly predatory loans to veterans. Abby and Shane... Tr- try to blow into a safe at a bank to give the money back to the victims. Harold's tries to have John stop them, but John's weakness towards veterans is activated like a secret trap card. And he helps Abby and Shane break into the bank to find evidence and all that stolen money. In the chaos of the break-in, mercenaries hired by the charity attack John. And then our B-plot comes in, um, which is Carter. Um, Carter has been offered a temporary post in the FBI by Donnelly to help track the man in the suit. And as it turns out, Donnelly has been, has learned how to track the mysterious encryption that Harold uses for John's phone. They are able to track John to the bank and they get into the bank and they find four men hiding in the, the basement, each of them wearing suits. Donnelly arrests all four men in the suits and uh, has them shipped off. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Carter's new boyfriend, Cal, as as it turns out, the godson of Alonzo's Quinn, you know, the head of HR. Um, <sighs> HR is presently reaching out to the Russians to try to secure some new funding. But more importantly, John has been arrested. And because because reaching out to Elias went so well for them. Oh, yeah. 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 This episode is hilarious to me because John is such like... Finch knows going into this, you can almost feel Finch like when this episode starts, like as soon as it becomes clear that this is about vets, Finch is like trying to slow roll Reese. And then it's like, what are you doing? Are, you know, are we, are we stopping them? And he's like, not so much stopping them as the opposite thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that Finch 
realizes they're kind of screwed about halfway through this episode. Yeah. There's some real good Gerald moments in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The episode starts with them giving Bear a bath. Which is great. Great. Bear is so Which, good. You should Bear not so be good. doing that in a library. I Listen, as somebody who has had to give dog, like, you know, dogs that size a bath. Yeah. I've had to give golden retrievers a bath. And let me tell you, you want a real tub for that. You don't want that little kiddie pool that they've got. Yeah. No. Well, and plus, that's a smell. Dog, like, wet dog is a smell that lingers. Oh. And you really want <laughs> wet dog shaking off in a library where it's going to spray that wet dog water all over your books? To be fair, Bear did not spray the wet dog water all over the books. He sprayed it all over Harold. Yeah. Well. No. <laughs> but yeah, there's like, there's so many good uh, bits with them, especially at the end as John is being captured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the start, he's like, gosh, I had I had a strange feeling this morning. A feeling, I, it took me a while to figure out what it was. I'm happy? Honestly, that I love that. <laughs> Such a fucking weirdo. He's like, I don't know what the is this is this satisfaction? Yeah. Which I, I honestly love like like or that John is like 404 does not compute. Yeah. yeah. I, I also Donnelly is just always so close. Like the whole yeah. his whole theory about like private intelligence networks. As it turns yeah. out, he's 100% correct. We will find that out later this season or maybe next season, I don't remember. Um no, later this later season. Later this season. Yeah. yeah. He just has the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah, and and like it just never crosses his mind that the man in the suit could be potentially trying to do something good. No, like, because like I because it's because everywhere the the man in the suit goes, mayhem follows, and lawbreaking follows, and dead bodies show up. There's no like logical path for him to come up with the idea that like yeah. John isn't nefarious. Yeah, he is missing the crucial piece of information here, which is that he has an artificial intelligence that should not exist assisting him. Right, and it's which like is valid that he has yeah. not construed that from, yeah. co- from yeah. with, with lack of evidence. I, I'm not going to say Agent, Agent Donnelly was right, but Agent Donnelly at least made some understandable mistakes. Yeah. And and he and it's like he keeps being he keeps tying together things that should in fact be tied together, but tying to them together wrong. Like like he's like okay, we've seen the man in the suit in the same place as Elias. So clearly the man in the suit is working for Elias. And it's like nope. Nope, uh, you're you're half right. You're so close, so close, and yet and and yet completely wrong. Or his thing with the Chinese, and it's like we, we've we've had that we've had those flashbacks, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's funny. He's especially given what we know about where Donnelly's arc is going in these next couple of episodes. It's funny to see like he really wants this so bad, and he's put so much into this. You almost want want to want to pull for him to get get a win here, uh, but it's not going to go his way because he's just he's just wrong enough that there's no way for this to go well for him. Yeah, yeah. he's a tragic figure in the Greek sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Like, I don't think he's a particular, like, he's not even a particularly interesting character. He's just tragic, and I like that. <laughs> he is pretty, yeah, no, that's, a good point. that's a good way of putting it. Well, and it's, it's interesting to contrast him with Carter, though, because Carter also started out pursuing Reese. But at that point, I think she did have somewhat of a more open mind as to, like, what what the motivations of the man in the suit might be. That's a good, that's a really interesting point. And I, I think because Carter is looking at the, the crimes. Yeah. She's interested. She was seeing the man in the suit in the context of his relationship to each individual crime. Right. Not as a slight against him, but Donnelly doesn't care about the individual crimes. He's looking for the pattern. And so right. he can't see I think that's part of what keeps him from seeing the the fact that the man in the suit is not all he sees is the fact that the man in the suit is there for is the common denominator in all this chaos. Yeah. But he doesn't yeah. see the way that the man in the suit is affecting each individual cr- uh person. Well, I think Carter was ultimately interested in catching the man in the suit. And I think that Donnelly is more interested in catching whoever is behind the man in the suit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point too. Yeah, he wants to. He wants there to be some sc- scheme or conspiracy or private intelligence network or whatever shenanigan he's he's formulating. He's also just way more obsessive. Yeah, which is going to go great for for him <laughs> in the next couple of episodes. Yeah. So there are two I know that faces in this episode. One which is uh, a lot more obvious than the other. So the first is Brian J. Smith, who plays Shane Coleman, and Shane is spelled with a Y. S-H-A-Y-N, and I just need to point that out because it's awful. Ugh. But uh, Shane Coleman has done a lot of stuff that nerds would recognize. Um, Before this, he was on Stargate Universe, um, the (laughs) most forgettable Stargate spinoff, so much so that you'd forget it had a second season. Wait, it Um, had a second season? It had had like 40 episodes. My God. Is Universe the one that John Scalzi wrote for? Yes. Yes, no. for his crimes. <sighs> but he was also uh, notably, I, I think most notably, in Sensate. Yeah. Um, playing the cop, um, which, I mean, overall, he's a good He's like the least. The, Brian, K, Brian J. Smith's problem is that he is the least interesting out of those eight. Yeah. But he's fine in it. Like, he, he's, he's delightful um, overall. He's also in the Matrix Res- Resurrections. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, he he he's got a he's got a bit in that. Or he's much hotter in that. But that's because they like the Wachowskis are like, we gotta we gotta we you're in a Matrix movie, you need to be like thirty percent more queer at least. Yeah. <laughs> Rem- let's erase the cop vibe as yeah. much as possible. Yeah, let, yeah, let's let's turn down cop and uh, up cyberpunk, but like in the cool ninety cyber cyberpunk. Um, nice. The other is the guy who runs the charity uh, chapel, who is played by John Bedford Lloyd, who he was in the abyss. But more importantly, for my random. Oh, wait, I remember this guy. Yes. Is he was in the Bourne movies. Yeah. As a random CIA dude. And the only reason I know this is because he has a very distinctive voice. Interesting. Um, like he gives a briefing basically in one of the Bourne movies about like who the fuck is Jason Bourne? Yeah, yeah, I I I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it's like he is 
utterly forgettable otherwise, but, but voice is very important. Those are those are my two big ones for this episode. Do do we want to talk about Finch going out into the field and like possibly having a midlife crisis and wanting a motorcycle? Oh yeah, he, he's getting a little. He's giving like adrenaline addict energy here, where he's just yeah. like, oh, I don't, I didn't, I've never experienced this before, and now I sort of want to. It's it's really interesting because he's doing a lot of field work in this one. Oh yeah, and I just kind of like to contrast that with what we saw at the start of the season. And I think it I think it helps show how far he's come since being captured by Root. Yeah. Which is nice. It's nice. It's nice. It feels like he's sort of like he's dealt with that and he's trying to like sort of go to the other extreme almost. Yeah. Um, well, not like in an unhealthy way. He's just like he. I'd almost call it like a self self prescribed exposure therapy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I don't want to say like, you know, he got captured and, you know, you know, nothing bad happened because obviously bad things did happen. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, he, he, he had a major experience and he had, you know, fallout from that in terms of it being traumatic, but like, moving past that and being like, hey, maybe maybe I can go out and do things. But also Harold... Please, as you cut all the cameras in the bank, don't look at them. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy. Also, the amount of techno babble that Donnelly has to like spout to basically say we can track his phone is very funny. This is a thing that I feel like this show falls into the bad habit of doing periodically, where it feels like you're in a show about AI, so we really have to, like, remind you about the technology now and then. Yeah. And so you get things like Demonate, and... Uh, I'm gonna go to bat for Demonate. It is cringe in a good way. <laughs> I think that we need to Disagree. have... Disagree. I think, I, I think that we need to have bad code names. Uh, I will agree. T- I will agree to that after you have both watched Hackers. At least, at least, Root isn't spelled with two zeros. <laughs> okay, I would. That would be okay. It's Did like, I just break like, you, Justin? I'm like that might actually that might actually be good. <laughs> um, we'll skip over that thought for the moment. This this is an episode that really feels almost like a leverage crossover to me. The villain feels like a leverage villain. Yeah, very much so. Except the like predatory lender going yeah. after vets. That's a very leverage plot. For some reason, I can't put my finger on it, but for some reason that feels very relevant. I right now. you know, yeah, like predatory oh, By the way, well what if you remind me to uh pay my student loan that is not quite yet forgiven? Hey Jude, when when did you graduate college? Shut up. <laughs> what was the what was the tens place of the year? It's not important. <laughs> Trying to make a point here. Uh when was that? Um uh like 2012, 2013, something okay. like that. So so about the time the show was doing the plot, okay. Yeah. Wait, you graduated college after me? Look. Okay. Not everybody who goes to college 
for six years gets a doctorate. Some of us just take their time. I started working full time uh, in my uh, sophomore year. Okay. So I, I, I basically did night classes and whatever I could fit uh, jammed in around my full time work schedule. So. Yeah, uh, I make a I, I make a lot of self deprecating jokes about it, but I actually am not too. Uh, other than the uh, hilarious amount of student debt I accrued, uh, I'm actually not too fussed about my uh, how much time I spent in at San Francisco State because other than the fact that San Francisco State at the time was a garbage institution, it may still be I don't know uh, to try and get an education from. I built my career in those four or five years that I overlapped uh, college and and working so i'm not too bothered by the uh the time it took me uh i am bothered by the debt though yeah and the fact that my uh degree could not have mattered less to the people that i have worked for since then so i probably could have just skipped it oof <laughs> no but i i was shit. and i was i was salty with um so i i graduated in uh 2010 with I did not have that much debt myself. My parents took out Parent Plus loans, which I managed to get probably the the world's worst method of loan forgiveness on those, um, which is that they were in my mom's name and then she got terminal cancer <laughs> um, and they were forgiven. I'm sorry. Uh, but hey, that's a lot of loans that we never had to pay back. The bulk of my loans, even though they were federal loans, <laughs> were not held by the Department of Education because they yeah. were held by Navient instead. And so all of that like loan payment pause did not affect me in any way. Yeah, that's that's some horseshit. Yeah, because it's like I, I had only federal subsidized loans and yet they were not held by the Department of Education, so not not eligible for the payment pause. The entire we're we're way off track yeah, here. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's not, move, not, take it back to a place of well. To, my my point was that the entire lending, particularly student loan, I feel industry is uh, hilariously predatory. Yeah, but uh, this episode makes the point that like the the lending industry for veterans is also yeah extraordinarily predatory which i i am led to understand is also quite true so it, it feels very relevant to our modern uh tastes yeah it, it's it's you know similar once groups. again yeah once again this show is uncomfortably press like not, that, yeah, it's not, not prescient. prescient it's just it's just reflecting real issues yeah. yeah. And that's and that's what made it feel really leveragey. It's also interesting because we've got a couple of numbers who are like actually reasonably competent at what they're doing. Yeah. Like they're they're out of their depth to a certain degree. And like they do need saving slash assistance. But like their plan isn't bad. They they like They've got a decent plan. Their main problem is they don't have any idea what they're going to do after they steal the money. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do like that about them, that their their plan is basically get the money. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty solid episode. Yeah. It's funny because this episode is one that in isolation is hard to talk about. Mm -hmm. 
to a certain degree. It's it's, it's because it's, it's a lot of connective tissue to what'll be like sort of the mid season plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we just move on to the next one then, and then we can kind of talk about all like sure all of it together. Yeah. I okay. So no, sorry, sorry, sorry. One thing I do yeah. want to talk about is that it feels like um, Abby and Shane feel like they have so many of the ingredients of boring numbers, mm-hmm. but they ha- but they work on like a level that like most boring numbers fail. And to me, the I think that the reason that they work for me is that they are like fairly competent. Mm-hmm. That they're not just like completely clueless. Yeah, they're not helpless. Yeah, they're just in over their heads. Right. Right. Yeah. I was literally. You took the words out of my mouth. That is exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. But they're they're not quite in the class of like Zoe in terms of like having their shit together. But you know, it's nice. It's nice when the numbers aren't just like completely hapless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a another character later on this uh this season the uh the CEO, the tech CEO that is in a similar class. Yeah. That I, I think that works for the same reason. This is a person that understands their situation and is not content to simply spin in the wind while Reese and Finch try and solve the problem. Right. Which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's do two pi R. And then if we have any other yeah. uh, thoughts about this Donnelly plot, uh, such as it is, we're, in, we're kind of in the middle of like a three episode arc here. Uh, yeah. But yeah. All right. So Two Pi R, written by Dan Dietz and directed by Richard J. Lewis. So in the aftermath of last episode, John is locked up in Rikers and it'll be up to Harold and Fusco to save the next number while Carter tries to free John. As it happens, this involves going undercover as a substitute math teacher. The number is one of Harold's students, Caleb Phipps. It turns out that despite Caleb's poor grades, he's actually a genius who's been using his spare time to code something groundbreaking with literal pencil and paper. In addition, Caleb's brother died two years ago in an accident with a subway train, and he's currently taking care of his alcoholic mother. There are a few red herrings involving what precisely the danger to Caleb is, but Harold and Fusco finally work it out. The danger to Caleb is himself. He plans to step in front of a train at the same age his brother did, out of guilt. Harold talks him down, sharing that his own mistakes created the opportunity for him to create something good and be there at that very moment to save Caleb. As they part at the school, Harold gives Caleb a printout of the first 3,000 digits of pi, saying that his phone number is in there somewhere and inviting Caleb to find it. Carter, meanwhile, has been busy trying to save John and ensure he's released from Rikers at the end of 72 hours, without Donnelly having enough evidence to actually charge him. Her task is getting rid of the evidence that she collected back in the first episode. She erases Reese's fingerprint records and then knocks out and swabs a dude from a bar to swap out his DNA for John's. However, when Donnelly finds out that none of the DNA samples from the men in custody match the FBI records for the man in the suit, he doesn't let them go. Uh, He instead surmises that the evidence has been tampered with, decides Carter is the only person he can trust, and puts her in charge of interrogating the four men. Man, how badly... Does Donnelly misread this? Like, I know we're going to... I mean, he reads the situation not- perfectly. He he understands what's going on. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, somebody fuck with the evidence. He's 100% right. Yeah, except yeah. that he, he thinks that Carter 
is the only person he can trust in this when she's arguably the last person he should be trusting in this. I mean, and, and there's some there's some solid fake outs too, where he's like, "The evidence that something's gone horribly wrong, Carter. I need to talk to you right now." Yeah, and she's like, "Uh oh." I mean, it's like he he has assigned her as like, "Oh, you're the person outside of this. You've been doing this the longest. Obviously, you're the one who's like safe and like you have mm. you know what's going on, right?" But yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> That's that's the most yeah. important thing. This is all very funny if you look at it from like you read the episode or you like you, you, if you're if you're not watching this and you're like and you're like okay John's gonna be fine sure yeah it's very funny it's just like yeah yeah, yeah. this is the episode where Donnelly like starts to go off the rails I love too. it this yeah. is the next episode where he is just like unhinged this door did not have hinges you are like. Pulling it into the frame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, to, and like, just hoping that gravity doesn't take its course. Yeah. It's like he he was doing fine up until the DNA evidence comes back and then he just loses it. I love it. But the thing is, he's right. He's absolutely right. right. Yeah. He just handles it like, he doesn't handle it like, okay. Well, I think it's because this, it confirms his his beliefs about like how unhinged the situation is. Yeah. He's right about what happened, but it makes him, but he's wrong about what that means. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it, it, it just makes him believe that like this whole complex bullshit thing is, is happening. And he just, yeah, he, he, he thinks that like this situation is his key to, to like solving all these big things. And yeah, he just loses. He just starts to lose his ding dang mind. Yeah. Meanwhile, Finch is, you know, cosplaying as a teacher, <laughs> which I think is really funny because, like, it basically just involves him wearing tweed. He's trying so hard to. Oh my it's god! It's like I, embarrassing. It, no, it is yeah. like okay, legitimately like Harold as a substitute teacher is like the worst like Hollywood stereotype of like how do I reach these kids. <laughs> yeah stand and deliver is actually a yeah. great movie but the but you know it's just like it's it unfortunately it influenced an entire f- generation of filmmakers and writers on how you write school scenes and i hate that <laughs> yeah. yeah and and it's like man if you're going to do something with math to show that pi is like useful to people in their actual day-to-day lives like don't don't pull out some sort of thing about like well it's infinite so it contains everything like you know the the first syllable Circles, you spoke as a baby uh, like you bring out bring out the question of does one 18-inch pizza or two 12-inch pizzas have more pizza <laughs> the answer may surprise you <laughs> The promise is like I suck at squares. Uh, it's an eighteen-inch pizza, right? Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. I knew this. I'm like, I can never remember like what's the point of like wh- where where it's like yeah, adding fifty percent is better. Yeah, and this is this is why like all the pizza places try to get you with the thing of like, well, we have the deal on the two smaller pizzas. Would you like to have that instead of the one larger pizza? Because it's less pizza, but more crust. I do like crust. Mm. Oh, really? So is, depend- the, this a, this a thing we, no, I I think I think crust is the thing that can most easily go wrong on a pizza. That that's 
I'm not going to say crust averse. I just believe that crust is the thing that many places fuck up. Absolutely. We got to get back. We, we need to either like get back on topic or wrap up this episode. Cause I have like, there are three entirely separate digressions warring to get out right now about pizza. Yeah, um, I love the fact that the teacher turns out to not be a dick. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. He's like, no, this like, like I, I think it is a little bit like, no, you are doing something incredibly stupid, kid. I like I, I it's a little bit like I think what the teacher ends up doing is a little bit like I don't want to say that it's like pedantic, but like, OK, we have all been teenagers. We've all been stupid. Sometimes you need an adult to, re- to like tell you this is stupid. And, yeah and like mm-hmm. and you know and, and like acting in caleb's like acting in caleb's name is like oh you you are not this kid's guardian uh, but like no he does the right thing even if he's like going about it in a weird way yeah like overall teacher you're a decent dude um and yeah i i'm it's funny you know that thing we had with um the guy from season the penultimate episode of season one yeah yeah caleb is one of those people we remember he does come back oh interesting i'm looking forward to that i gotta say the 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 concept of writing code longhand just like boggles me dumbest thing about this episode it's a thing about this episode that actively irritates me yeah yeah because like in some ways i recognize that it's not like that dissimilar from the days of like punch cards where you would be like coding in that way but like we have computers now and like debugging is awful with a good ide let alone like napkins look i don't care how genius of a programmer you are and i don't care how revolutionary the algorithm you're writing is at least one third of all programming, regardless of what language you write in, is fucking around on Google trying to find a snippet that somebody else has already written <laughs> for how to do this thing. Because you because you cannot be bothered to like figure out like what's the proper way to like do this thing with this language, or yeah, or like you know, pulling up the help file for the function that you plan to use to like make sure that it works the way that you think it does. Yeah, unless you unless your brain is literally a computer, trying to write sophisticated modern code longhand is even less believable than a fucking sentient AI to me. <laughs> like yeah. I am much more capable of of suspending disbelief for a truly intelligent AI than I am that somebody would write a revolutionary compression algorithm longhand in a fucking notebook. The the only thing I could like possibly like think that this might be would be that he's writing pseudocode of some form and then like translating that from pseudocode into actual code when he sits down at the computer. Mm-hmm. But that's still bananas. Yeah. You still have to debug pseudocode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's shenanigans. I'm not even going to get into the fact that, like, the way they depict his algorithm working is, again, so hilariously, wildly fantastical that it, I mean, 
look, there are fantasy shows that are more grounded in reality <laughs> than some of the stuff that's, that this guy does. The compression algorithm will be plot relevant at some point, though. God damn oh, it. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I look forward to talking about this in four months. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about this weird episode? Oh, I was, I was just going to say, I love that Carter's actually committing crimes now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how far has she come? Seriously. Man, from, uh, I'm not comfortable being involved with you because you are uh, a criminal to let me tamper with evidence for you, my dude. Yeah. Seriously. Also, also, we get the, t- the fun tidbit that Harold hacked Arpanet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there is an episode that comes up in season three that is going to have a flashback to Harold's younger life and, um, and his his journey. I always think that it's this episode because the reference to the end. It's it's just this thing that really annoys me because I'm like, I always think it is it's this episode, but it's in fact another episode which is has a much has a much better emotional core and Anna, you're going to lose your shit when you get to that episode. I look forward to uh, it. Um there's a particular guest star on it that you are going to go nuclear. We're thinking the same episode. Yeah. 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 You're going to go nuclear. <laughs> I look forward it to is, this day. It's like it's an episode that like we like that like manifested into will of like oh this that's a, such a good episode. Yeah. That's why I'm excited for season three. That is like, that is truly like all gas, no brakes level that season three gets. Yeah. To. It's, it's, it's just always weird because I always expect, because like once I get to this episode, because, because they tell the story, the, the, they tell the story of like yeah. the Arpanet hack in this. I always think that it's this episode, but it's not. And I'm just like, why is there no flashbacks? I remember there being flashbacks in the episode. It's like, no, you dumbass. It's because you don't actually know what you're <laughs> doing. Yeah. All right. What, what a good cliffhanger too. Yeah. To the episode. Uh, yeah. So uh, in the next episode, we get the resolution to this particular storyline and we get to see Carter bust out her interrogation chops, which is uh, the best part of this, in my opinion, the best part of this storyline that in uh, the prison yard scene, which we'll get next episode. Next time we're going to be covering episodes 12 and 13, uh, Prisoner's Dilemma and Dead Reckoning. And the plot will thicken, nice. and we're going to uh, we're going to see some old friends in this in this one, in both mm-hmm. episodes. Excellent. Yep. Um, until next time, you are being watched. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. Mm-hmm.